Hello and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling ideas and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. We're continuing with our read-through of The Hunger Games and we are looking at chapters 11, 12, and 13 of the first book today. So why don't you start us off with a recap, Chris? Yeah, so as the games begin... Katniss plans to make for a bow that she sees in the middle of the dangerous cornucopia, but at the last minute she's distracted by Peeta shaking his head at her and misses her chance. She does grab some supplies while avoiding getting killed, and she moves into the woods to seek water and get as far as possible from the other tributes. Katniss remains hidden as the career pack kills another tribute that's nearby her, but she discovers that Peeta, the lover boy himself, is working with the career wolf pack. Betrayal. <laughs> she spends the next two days searching for water, but after she finally finds it, she wakes up to a wall of fire bearing down on her. She flees the fire, but gets burned along the way, and the queer pack sneaks up on her while she heals. She climbs a tree to escape and taunts them as they're unable to come up after her. But as night falls and she has nowhere to go, she sees Rue in the tree next to her, pointing at something above them. And I joke about betrayal but it would totally feel like that can you imagine absolutely yeah that is one of the most compelling parts of these chapters is katniss's internal monologue when she's trying to figure out what's going on and what could be happening with Peta. yeah at the very least you'd be thinking i hope it doesn't come down to either of us having to kill the other not first day seeking me out with the careers to kill me Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely well, why don't we move it into our striking moments segment, where we talk about particularly interesting or compelling parts of these chapters. So what struck you? Yeah, so something that really struck me this time that I hadn't ever thought about in any read-through before is just that the dead tributes are sent back to their districts in a plain wood box, mm-hmm. which she uses the word box and not even coffin, which I, I kind of appreciate that wording. Then it, it just made me think, like, I have to assume that District 7 that deals with lumber is the one providing and, like, producing mm-hmm. those boxes each year. And I just can't imagine what that would be like if, part of your job is to produce these coffins that kids and probably a lot of kids from your district are gonna have to use year after year yeah i don't i mean it would always be terrible definitely but how that would just feel almost more insulting in a way for these two dead district seven kids to come home in boxes that they're community made yeah though i'm also wondering if that ties into any cultural meaning behind the wood that's used or the processing that's done on the the wood that's used for those boxes and if that has meaning for that community or if it is just top-down capital rules about how it's made how it's produced and and how it's used i would imagine it would be the latter that it would be the cheapest material, the material that maybe is left over from other things. But, I don't know, possibly once they receive those boxes back and before burying the kids or whatnot, maybe they would have their own process mm. of embellishing them or, or something like that. Yeah, interesting. But what about you? What, what was a striking moment for you? 
One that actually hit me pretty early on in these chapters was Katniss's first run-in with death when the boy from District 9 is killed while he's struggling with her and coughs up blood on her face. Mm-hmm. When I was reading through, I was initially noticing the lack of a reaction from her, that she doesn't, you know, stop to think about how awful that is or, or anything else like that, or, or or be disgusted or affected by the blood on her. She, of course, gets very quickly attacked herself by Clove, who starts throwing knives at her, and she, she runs away, realizing that she got to take one of Clove's knives with her. And I was then struck by how she smiles and thinks, thanks for the knife. And so, yeah, it was just interesting, the lack of a response to this horrific thing that she experienced, and then seeing her next emotional moment being one of smiling, being competitive at the very least, and and really kind of overcome with survival is really kind of how I, I read it, was it's about, yeah, her, she is in fight mode at this point, uh, and she is going to, yeah, be happy about anything that not only means that she survived, but also that is going to increase her ability to survive in the future. Yeah, but also she didn't have any time to process that death Mm -hmm. because they were struggling over the same backpack right next to each other. So if it can hit him, it can hit her. And so that's why she grabbed it and fled. But yeah, that's also the creepy thing of going into the games. You know that so i mean they call it the bloodbath Mm -hmm. and you see it every year since you're can remember you know but yeah even in in a moment that would fill you with so much terror and whatnot her ability to think strategically but not just strategically but have a bit of snark to her too Mm -hmm. i think is um very characteristic of katniss yeah One other moment I found really interesting was when she's questioning why Hamish hasn't sent her water, she notes how when mentors mistreat their tributes, they're held accountable by the viewers, in particular the viewers from their district, which just made me think about when that has actually been seen in the past. Has this been something that, that, you know, has been experienced, or is this just a conclusion that she's making that says, well, if I was in the district and I saw Hamish mistreating a tribute, I would not welcome him back. I would not trade with him in the hob. I would not treat him well back in the district. Because as we learned, there haven't been a lot of victors in District 12. And so I don't know if she's actually had that experience or if she's seen that in other districts, or or kind of where that comes from. But I think it's just a a really interesting line that kind of opened a lot of windows for me of thinking about her perspective, her experiences, and yeah, what the relationships are supposed to be between mentors and tributes. Yeah, and I, I was thinking about that a little bit too, of how I'm sure, especially in District 12, oftentimes they don't get any sponsors to begin with. Mm hmm so there isn't really any help that the mentor's withholding from them because it's not like Hamage's has a stash of credits that he's just not turning in because he wants those kids to die. And I wonder how common it is for anyone to know. Like, is it announced how much sponsorship different mm. tributes get? 
Yeah, I could totally see that being tracked alongside the bedding and then all these other kinds of things mm-hmm. that are... Yeah, and I could just imagine some graphic showing after some expensive gift was purchased mm-hmm. for a tribute. Look at the funds have decreased this much so that also sponsors know if they want to throw in some extra money or whatnot for their favored tribute to win. Yeah, absolutely. As terrible, terrible, I understand this is terrible as it is. I really want to see what the programming is like during the Hunger Games, you know? Like, Absolutely. it's bad, but I just have so many questions. Yeah, no, the, the kind of interested in media studies part of my brain very mm-hmm. much is like, okay, so yeah, how is this covered? How do they strategically try to entice viewers and entice sponsors? Because, I mean, I'm guessing that money's going to the production of the games. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's going to charitable foundations. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically, they don't have any charitable foundations. Exactly. <laughs> Well, why don't we head into our next section? This is From Another Point of View, where we try to look at scenes from perspectives other than Katniss's. So I was just kind of imagining Haymitch and Effie and Senna and Portia sitting around and watching the games together. Mm-hmm. And just what that would be like and feel like. First, Hamish just being like, don't you dare go to the cornucopia, Katniss. Don't you dare. Because he saw her looking at it. And if he saw PETA shaking his head at her, being like, yes, thank you. Someone kept their head, Katniss. At least I can count on PETA. (laughs) And then once this whole thing comes to light with PETA having Mm. teamed up with the careers, but not just that, but of Katniss finding out about that. And I could just imagine Hamish being like, great, now she's going to hunt PETA down and kill him. (laughs) Exactly, because either PETA going along with the career pack was something that he and Hamish planned together, or it wasn't. And so if it's that they didn't plan it, then... Hamish would, and the others, would certainly be frustrated and worried when PETA decides to do that. If it was the plan, they would be frustrated and worried when PETA decides to do that and Katniss finds out about it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I could just see all the time Cinna and Portia and Effie turning to Hamish like, did you plan this? Mm -hmm. What's going on? Especially after... Katniss cocks her head and gives that knowing smile. Such a great moment. Amazing. And then Hamish kind of forgiving her at that moment of like, okay, this could maybe be a tribute who could win. Yeah, yeah. Also, I was thinking about them all just watching when she is dehydrating to Mm -hmm. death. And I could just imagine how they're, they're cutting together this footage. It's like it shows her walking and then it's like, just a half a mile to her left here is this babbling mm-hmm. brook going by and them just like yelling at the screen like turn left you know that's what i would be doing mm-hmm. or look at though... those berries or yeah. yeah yeah exactly something that where they know that she has the skills to find it mm-hmm. um but also seeing her struggle until she finds it yeah 
But then other moments I could imagine that them just being completely silent when the fireball attack is happening. Yeah. It's this could be death at any moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I also imagine that Hamish probably has access to like a menu of items and how much they will cost. And mm-hmm. so there's probably some strategy. Okay, this is how much we have in our bank right now. This is how many sponsors I think I can get. This is how much things cost. And so if I spend this much on water now, that's going to make it so I can't spend on more things later on. And, oh, now she is dealing with this fire. How is this going to impact the way that we're dealing with supplies? Is she losing some of her supplies? Like, those are all things that they have to actively be considering while also just worried about her. And and Pete is probably going through similar things as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I could imagine Effie just being like, hey, Mitch, just send her some water. Mm-hmm. And him be like, no. We need to save this money in case we need it later. Absolutely. And them, like, arguing with each other. And yeah. Senna and Portia trying to keep the peace. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what's a point of view that you were thinking about? Yeah, when Katniss starts to berate the girl from District 8 who starts a fire near her, mm-hmm. it made me start really thinking about what it was like for her and these other tributes who don't have Katniss's survival skills. Because we even get a chapter here of these three chapters that is Katniss trying to find water. But even that, she is surviving on things like the rabbit that she trapped, the bark that she knows that she can eat, that give her such a advantage in just surviving in these games. And so while I definitely understand the idea that, yeah, lighting a campfire, especially at that time, is just going to draw people to you, I can also try to understand the the fear and the uncertainty of being out in the wilderness on your own without knowing anything about the environment around you. Mm-hmm. And knowing that the one of the few things that you can do and that will help you in some way is having a fire. So yeah, it just it made me think a lot more about what the experience of being in the Hunger Games would be like for someone who doesn't have Katniss's skills. and Or if you just didn't pick up a sleeping bag. Yeah, exactly. Because I think there's a line later in the book where she, it's a really cold night and she's kind of like, okay, now I feel a little bit of sympathy for her mm-hmm. because this is rough. Yeah. I mean, I I get cold so easily. I would just, without that sleeping bag, that'd be really, really difficult for me. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. <laughs> I mean, the whole experience would be difficult. <laughs> no, the sleeping bag would be the <laughs> real be the hard worst thing for you. It. Yeah. Yeah. but also it kind of gives you a little perspective too when at the very very end of our our reading for the week she sees rue and it's like oh i've brought them to rue because it's similar yeah and so just being in an arena with other people even if they're not going to come after you to kill you that just endanger you by being there at all Mm mm-hmm Well, did you have any other points in this section? Yeah, another perspective I was thinking about is just Gail watching these games in these first few days and just him being proud of her when she's caught that first rabbit Mm -hmm. and feeling like in a very, very small way, the skill that he taught her is helping her survive. Yeah, I can even imagine him when she opens up the pack and he's and has the coil mm-hmm. being excited like oh you'll be you'll be fine mm-hmm. yeah yeah you're not gonna starve to death exactly yeah and then also thinking about the line when 
she hears Peta's voice mm. and is just so angry and that no one from District 12 would ever think of such a thing as teaming up with the careers because they're, quote, universally solidly hated. She was thinking that she couldn't imagine what people are saying about him back home. And I was just thinking about how livid Gail must be watching Peta join the careers and help them track her down. Yeah. He just must be so angry, especially after he gave this confession of feelings on public television and now he's trying to bring down Katniss not only that is Gail's best friend but also that he feels responsible for helping her family out Mm. if Katniss doesn't come back and there's already enough strain on his family that he's had to keep taking out Tesserae every year you know and Katniss actually has some skills that could maybe help her win. I could just see him thinking about you like you are so useless yet you're gonna do this and just being so angry and so I was kind of thinking about like if he caught any squirrels would he just refuse to sell any to the Malarks mm-hmm. and is there anybody else in District 12 that really cares about Katniss enough that because of that they would boycott the bakery Mm. what what about madge and her family i could i I just i wonder if that's happening back home when this happens and then Peta's family is mad at him like especially his mom like why don't you just die you know and and not bring this extra burden on our family Mm -hmm. yeah at the same time i can also i can see kind of see gail in both ways right at the cornucopia Part of me can imagine him being like, Katniss, get that bow. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> even though it's not a good idea for her, even though it's very dangerous. Um, but I, I could also, I mean, he seems to be pretty savvy as a hunter as well. So I can imagine him being like, you're fast enough to get out of there. So who knows? Oh, but then once they do extra coverage while people are sleeping, nothing interesting's happening, right? Where they would like zoom in on... Peta's face shaking his head at Katniss and Gail would just be like he was preventing her from getting that bow you know yeah that's how I would feel like I would be so angry and at the same time I don't even know how could you watch your friend if they were in the games you want to see what's happening because if you don't see what what's happening you're just so stressed about it every moment and seeing something at least you know okay no one's in her vicinity because they're narrating this whole thing right yeah but then you also risk seeing something terrible that you can never unsee so totally but yeah like what what's it like for prim at school because they see they they watch the recaps during lunch but they still have to go to classes between that i was actually surprised i forgot that they had to go to classes yeah I, I thought that their classes would be just sitting there watching, watching it so that they know that they're watching. Yeah. Pretty, pretty awful. Yeah. <laughs> Not but, super fun perspectives to jump into. No, but very interesting. Well, why don't we move into our touch points section? This is where we relate what we're reading to things that we see in our own society. So what did you bring to discuss? So one thing I was thinking about is just the cornucopia. Because in North America, a cornucopia very symbolically is associated with Thanksgiving. Yeah. 
I mean, obviously there's the harvest as well, but regardless of where you live in the United States, Cornucopia and Thanksgiving are like linked in your mind. It's the only place I've heard the word outside of the Hunger Games. Right? And so I was just like looking at that a little bit. First of all, Thanksgiving is a problematic holiday generally because it's based off of a sham in terms of the actual historicity of what happened. And it's just people who have benefited from genocide trying to create a different narrative about Mm -hmm. what happened to make themselves feel better about it and like, oh, everyone can get along or something. I think that that's very much The Hunger Games. It's very Panem and is how the Hunger Games are shown at least to the capital citizens themselves. It's this celebration and there's parties and there's these different things and it's not seen as the violent horrific diabolical thing that it is Mm -hmm. you know and cornucopias are actually apparently on a lot of things they're on the flag of idaho the seal of north carolina with liberty standing and in plenty holding a cornucopia as if these things are linked Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's on also in in central and south america so coat of arms of colombia panama peru venezuela and even a coat of arms for victoria in australia Hmm. i just think it's so interesting that all of these places that have been so colonized and a genocide is what has led to the people who are there being there for the most part and having this symbol of prosperity and it's this prosperity that only comes at the expense of others yeah it just felt very Panem, very united states but apparently not even just the united states but um, a lot of places yeah i mean the the idea that Sure, there's plenty, but it takes violence to get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, feels very intentional. And also, is there plenty? Or have you created it so that there's not plenty anymore? Yeah, and what does plenty mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And who gets prosperity? Exactly. Another thing that I was noticing was when these fireballs are being shot out at Katniss... There was a line that said, Somewhere in a cool and spotless room, a game maker sits at a set of controls, fingers on the triggers that could end my life in a second. Mm. And that just brought me so much to drones. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that's what Collins was thinking about, since especially in the 90s and early 2000s, it became more and more and more common to use these to kill just people across the world at the touch of a button and and the fact that it was described as a cool spotless room i think is yeah it's it's really showing this disparity between the people in this case katniss who's trying to do anything to survive and then the people with the power to end those lives and the narrative of a sanitized environment by Mm -hmm. which those decisions are being made totally yeah yeah and so i i looked up a little and there's this quote by brian tice in 
Air Power Journal, this 1991 issue, which I know we're all clamoring to try to get our hands on. <laughs> Air Power Journal. But in this issue, he was talking about unmanned aerial vehicles or drones. It was saying about why they're being developed, and it was for military missions that are too, quote, dull, dirty, or dangerous. And I just felt like that, again, just felt like such capital language to think about things, think about the districts, think about kids from the districts, dull, dirty, and dangerous. And so I just feel like, is it possible this isn't talking about drones? You know, <laughs> it just, it, to me, it's just like so there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a powerful me metaphor um, yeah. for the game makers. And for the military. Yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that. <laughs> but what do you have for this section? So as I was reading the section where Katniss is considering going back to the lake uh, and considering whether the game makers made it so that, that was the only fresh water in the arena mm. as a way of bringing people together for confrontation. It really clearly connected with me with a a video essay that I recently watched by a man named Jacob Geller, who does these amazing video essays on video games, and in particular, the architectural and artistic components of video games. So in this essay titled Spaces Designed for Violence, Geller compares how, in video games, designers create spaces for the purpose of having interesting typically gunfights and, and other kinds of violent encounters as part of that gameplay. But he compares that to the increase in school shootings in the United States, leading to schools being spaces that are designed as possibly being spaces of violence. And how new schools have been built with architecture in mind that would make it so that there's unclear sight lines for a shooter to be able to shoot many people. Or it would be more difficult for them to get access to certain places. And, and he makes, I think, some really amazing valid points. And, and this ties into some other research I've done into just how cities and community spaces are constructed in ways that oftentimes are violent themselves. Mm. A great example of this is here in Los Angeles. There's many locations where there'll just be spikes put in areas of the street because they don't want unhoused people to be sleeping there. Uh, or they make a park bench difficult to lay down on because they don't want the unhoused people to be sitting there or laying there. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like the Capitol would do all these things. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. just so bad. The rise of indoor malls was brought about in part because they were ways of getting away from the street, being able to have a shopping experience that is very controlled, uh, has high security, and is not engaging with people, in particular unhoused people, but also just impoverished people who are active and outside in community spaces. And so there's all these ways that architecture has been developed in our society in ways that oftentimes aren't explicit, but are meant to reinforce these often violent hierarchies. Mm. So reading through these chapters and seeing the arena through this perspective, it made me think a lot about how this is a environment that is built 
much more like a video game than anything else because it is designed to increase violence. They mm. have traps. They have a cornucopia. They have all of these different elements that are meant to increase the entertainment of conflict and of violence. And yeah, there, there are spaces that even though they don't have that kind of entertainment quality in our society, so it's, it's not a one-to-one comparison, there are still environmental decisions that are made to choose how to build societies, in particular in America, societies that often come with gun violence and other types of violence. So yeah, it just, it made me start thinking a lot about how, yeah, how spaces are designed and what power relationships those tend to reinforce. Totally. I mean, and that must be involved in the conversations that the game makers that are designing the arena are Absolutely. having. And what makes a great arena is probably something that's like, think about the amazing fights that happened here. Think mm-hmm. about these great moments that occurred of these awful deaths that, that happened. And yeah, the horrific elements of that. In the same way, there are architects and designers in our society who are hailed because they have created a design that is explicitly exclusive, a way of dividing communities based off of race or economic status or other kinds of elements. Mm-hmm. Golf courses. <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we should probably move into our wonderment section. This is where we talk about the things that are on our mind or that we're mulling over based off of these chapters. So what wonderments do you have? So something I was thinking about is should Hamish have given different advice? Because obviously you should not go into the cornucopia bad. But what she got, yeah, just from that one backpack... She used the wire for her snares, which gave her food. Mm-hmm. The iodine to sanitize her water. The sleeping bag to stay warm. And even to not lose a bunch of her stuff. And to be able to sleep without having to worry about her backpack, which is bright orange. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it even had some food. And then plus that water bottle that's in there. And like that's vital. Otherwise, she could not leave from the water because you can only drink as much as you can in one sitting you know yeah and so not to mention would you be able to sanitize water if you don't have a container no i mean you would just have to drink it and hope for the best so yeah i was i was just thinking like was his advice the best advice or was he giving that advice thinking that maybe she would try to get something and if he was like grab a backpack (laughs) then she would go into the cornucopia you know like i I don't know what his thought process was there Mm. or if this was from all of his experience being mentor and watching these games over and over and over again like this is the best strategy Mm -hmm. just hands down because if the kid hadn't died right in front of her she very well could have gotten killed in that that first minute. Um, So, yeah, I was kind of wondering about that. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I was kind of struck by when she talks about how she didn't really tell Hamish how fast she was. It made me think about, are the three days they have in the training center and, and working with their mentors enough? Because 
there were still skills that he didn't know about that might have impacted their strategy. Totally. Yeah, that's a good point. And like, if you were a mentor and a little less absent as Hamish has been Mm -hmm. for years or decades in in this process, like maybe you would have a checklist of like everything to ask, Mm. but he wasn't even thinking about trying to do anything when he was on the train until they were like mad at him he's like oh i guess we've got fighters yeah so yeah another thing i was thinking about is who are these guest commentators that claudius templesmith is interviewing to you know just join him in these ongoing discussions that are happening are they tv personalities versus experts like medical professionals discussing wounds like Katniss's burns on air because yeah. it gives some context or it adds some gruesomeness if you can give an example to what this could be like or something like that. Then I was thinking about, because I know in one of our past episodes, I was wondering about the game makers and when they were taking notes when they were having their training sessions. I was like, hmm... Were they taking notes on the tributes so that they could, yeah, figure out what weapons and stuff they wanted to put in? Or were they taking notes based off of, oh, this person is really good with knives. And so let's put in a call to our local expert on weaponry Mm. so that we have them standing by for whenever we have them come in and talk about these things. Oh, yeah, I bet. And also I thought it could be interesting if they had any of the trainers from those training sessions discussing the skills that they taught the tributes and if they're using them. So like when Katniss was about to eat those berries and then threw them away, they could have somebody talking about like, I told her that if she doesn't 100% know what this berry is, don't eat it. Yeah, I'm sure they come in too. Yeah, right? And, And how that would be for them having interacted with these tributes on a more personal level. And then also if they have any past victors coming in or if they have the mentors being interviewed too and if they have to be commenting. The mentors probably would not be a very good interview. I said the mentors. Did you though? I think I did. <laughs> I mean the capital is just one big Dementor. <laughs> in Songbirds and Snakes they did interview mentors, yeah. right? And so... I could imagine Hamish definitely having some blunt, amusing, savvy commentary to like help bring in more sponsors. But if they are bringing mentors in in that way that could potentially help their mentees, are they also making them discuss the tributes once they've died? Mm. Um, and, and, and how they died and, and things like that, which would make everything i mean it's already bad for the mentors but even even worse worse. yeah and what are you supposed to say to your home district yeah i mean i'm sure that's the other thing is that it's not just mentors but it might be past victors from that district who might even if they aren't mentors you know that it's really going to be probably as exploitative as possible Mm -hmm. for that entertainment value yeah but again, some footage I would be interested in seeing yes. in this world. I mean, not in our real world, because that would be horrible if yeah. it was happening. But 
in this fictional world. Yeah. And interested in seeing it not for the entertainment value for the way it's actually created, but... How they're using it. Exactly. And, and what are the messages and is everybody is on board, is everyone else, and, you know, what, what are the differences between the people and when they choose to have people come in and when they don't. Yeah, in historical study, we call that reading a source against the grain. It's mm. not reading it for the intentions of its creators, but to see wider ideas, activities, trends, um, and be able to analyze and evaluate those things. Totally. Although I do admit I would like to see an interview with Haymitch mm-hmm. about what's going on with Katniss and Peta just for the entertainment That's value. True. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But what about you? What is something you're wondering about? Yeah, I'm also wondering what the capital audience is experiences mm. um, when they're watching this. Um, it made me start thinking about Super Bowl parties. Oh, Do they have gross. these big events where people they come totally in and they want, do. Yeah, and of course they do. But like what that looks like. Do they take time off? Are these like holidays for the capital? Um, or are there different class distinctions where some people can take the time off, but others still have to be working, even within the capital? I, I could imagine, especially with the amount of wealth that just exists in the capital, that there's just a week of like a national holiday. Where it's mm-hmm. like, this is the Hunger Games, where we're feasting, we're all hanging out, no one has to go to work, we're just focused on the Hunger Games. Um, and let the AVOXs do everything. So yeah, that, that was one of the kinds of things or, that came oh. Now it just brought me to different places of business doing like Hunger Games sales. Oh, and, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. no. Mm-hmm. Think about all of the restaurants and supermarkets branding mm-hmm. about the Hunger Games. And, you know, don't be hungry this Hunger Games. Right? And yeah. Oh, gross. So awful. <laughs> and they would have some special items that they would put on the menu and like something that they light on fire you know it's like district 12 oh that's totally fajitas yeah. or you know whatever it would be uh-huh the grill on fire <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> exactly so now you have a new job chris you can create terrible Oppressive puns <laughs> to benefit rich people. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in a similar vein, I was wondering in regards to those who are betting on the games and those who are sponsors and things like that, if there's any discussion about ideas of fairness. In particular, when they open up the games and Katniss kind of looks around the arena and talks about what's around her and, and thinking about how the arena itself is so varied and how lucky she is in some ways to be so near the woods Mm -hmm. because if she was right next to the lake say she's in the middle of six seven different tributes who are all near the lake that is going to be a really difficult position to get to safety in i mean thankfully she can swim but a lot of tributes probably can't swim Mm -hmm. and even if you can swim you know swimming out into a lake there's who knows what's monsters inside? Yeah, or, or how long you're going to have to swim to get to someplace that's that's more safe or that you can stop swimming at. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, because, you know, we, we don't know what the entire arena looks like. But what we do know is that even as Katniss is searching for water and unable to find that, she's still in an environment that she feels 
particularly comfortable in. Mm -hmm. She's able to read the flora and fauna of the area around her. I think that would probably be a safer environment for most tributes, but especially for someone like her. And so, yeah, is there a conversation of when the tributes get raised up onto those platforms and you see how they're placed around the cornucopia of sponsors being like, well, the person I bet on is in the worst location. Um, Mm -hmm. Or does it affect betting averages or, you know, all sorts of different kinds of, of things. It just, it makes me wonder more about that because unfortunately when the Hunger Games are gamified in all of these ways for the capital and for that audience yeah it just makes me wonder how that in, is incorporated because it's not an even playing field in so many ways mm, totally which also makes me think yeah maybe Hamish's advice was the best advice because she might have not been as close to the woods as she was mm. so you just take off running there yeah also, the fact that every so often the game makers will just kill a tribute. How does that affect people being outraged over Absolutely. betting? Yeah. yeah. You lost me so much money. The most awful part of yeah, that, for it's, sure. It's the real upsetting part of yeah, the Hunger Games. Absolutely. Well, I think that's going to move us into our last segment, our intentions. Things that we want to take home with us after reading these chapters. So what's your intention Mine is just very simply to spend this week taking notice of and being thankful for every time I drink water. Yeah. Because while you're reading that, her just dehydrating and I just have my nice little water bottle right next to me, you know. Um, So, yeah, just thinking about that, being grateful for that and thinking about that, yeah, it's a privilege that water is so easy to come by for me. Yeah, I was thinking about that too uh, as my intention, in particular thinking about how not only are we very privileged compared to Katniss, but compared to so many people around the world too. Oh, absolutely. um, Where the fact that we have not only water, but running water, that we don't Mm -hmm. have to use iodine to sanitize, that we can rely on, you know. We can buy extra filters, which we have, Mm -hmm. but it's not strictly necessary, at least where we are yeah. here in some places even in the united states well absolutely i mean yeah. i was thinking about the flint water crisis mm-hmm. where for years and really still to this day the levels of toxicity in that in that, that water was just enormous and causing so many health issues and the refusal of the government to really do anything about it mm-hmm. for so long and that's yeah in the united states the most privileged country in the world in the history of the world Mm -hmm. and there are many, many people around the the world who don't have anywhere near as dependable a water supply as we do, and that's just going to get worse and worse. Something to look forward to. (laughs) Yes. So, yeah, I'm going to share my intention with you that to be be grateful and aware of that and uh, also aware of those inequalities and the fact that I'm lucky to have that. So you're going to steal my intention? Yeah. Just like an American. <laughs> it's Thanksgiving. We can share. <laughs> oh, no. It's nowhere near Thanksgiving, <laughs> but every day is like Thanksgiving for a lot of Americans. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that will wrap up our conversation today. <laughs> yes. What's happening next time on The Hunger Games? 
We are going to be reading chapters 14, 15, and 16, where Katniss and friends experience oozing, losing, and bruising. Well, I can't wait to be perusing those chapters. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our social media and our website in the episode description, or you can join us at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines if you want to become a supporter of the podcast, getting you access to all sorts of extra bonus content, including our really, really exceptional and fun book club that we're doing as we read through the Hunger Games. We'd love to have you join us there. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find your designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek, geek out! out.